Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of the Military Medicine Podcast, hosted by Matt Kane and myself, James Coote. In this episode, we talk about regenerative medicine. That is to replace, engineer, or regenerate human cells, tissues, or organs to restore function. Our esteemed guest on the line from Washington, D.C. is Dr. Wendy Dean, the Senior Vice President of Program Operations at the Henry Jackson Foundation, or HJF for short. HJF is a non-profit organisation created by Congress with the mission of advancing military medicine. Dr. Dean was a practising psychiatrist before joining HJF and talks to us about the promise of regenerative medicine and what it will mean to warfighters of the future, where we've made the most progress so far, but also tempers expectations by stating that it won't be a magic solution to everything overnight. Before we kick off the podcast, a brief apology to our listeners and to Wendy, Gary and Marissa at HJF for the sound quality. As most of you know, we've self-funded the podcast and edit it with our very limited equipment and skills, so we were unable to clean up the audio of Wendy's phone line, which must have had air conditioning on in the background. Our sincere apologies for this, but we really hope you still enjoy it and find Wendy's insights as fascinating as we did. Dr. Wendy Dean, thank you very much for joining us today on the Military Medicine Podcast. Uh, I think we're going to kick off the podcast with a round we call the Quick Fire Five. These are five questions where the aim is to try and answer with, I'll give you three words or less. Number one, will a human ever be like a salamander and regrow perfect new limbs? Not in my lifetime. (laughs) Number two, which body part will be the first to be reliably regenerated in mainstream medicine? Skin. When will we no longer need an organ donation register, as we'll be able to regrow individuals' failing organs from their own tissue? Not in my lifetime. Probably. But maybe shortly after. (laughs) Okay. That's more than three words, I apologize. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) Will Western regulation of regenerative medicine mean that countries with less stringent regulation, such as China, blaze ahead in this field? I don't think so. And number five, what one related resource would you recommend listeners to read to or listen to? Uh, So there are a couple. Uh, One is, and this is going to be way longer than three words. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, The NASA Vascularized Tissue Challenge has a really interesting, um, it's an interesting resource for, for what's happening at the cutting edge of, of growing new tissues. And then for a, a good compilation of a lot of what's happened in regenerative medicine, probably the one source that I would point people to is the California Institute of Regenerative Medicine website. And from there, you can link out to a lot of other websites. Perfect. I'll let you go. We're definitely more than three words, but it sounds very interesting. So, Dr. Dean, regenerative medicine is a relatively new field, um, which is younger in fact than me, with the earliest reference to we could find in 1992. Uh, In simple terms, what is regenerative medicine and what are its goals? Regenerative medicine is a field that looks to use the body's own capacity for healing and regeneration, recreating its own tissue, in order to heal the body like tissues with like tissues. So for example, if you were to lose a bit of muscle that you would be able to grow back muscle that would be indistinguishable from the muscle that you lost. 
And really, it is to solve the problem that medicine has faced forever, which is that oftentimes we have to replace tissue with with some substitute that is similar but not the same, and that lead that can lead to all kinds of problems with uh, form and function. Perfect. Can you give a couple of examples of where we'd be looking for regenerative medicine to take over and improve our current care? Almost anywhere. Almost anywhere you look, we would be. We could. We could look to regenerative medicine to help to help improve uh, how folks recover from illness or injury. So, for example, if you took the 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 field where I worked, which was in military medicine, if, if you look at someone who's wounded on the bat- battlefield, they stepped on an improvised explosive device, for example, and they had a major injury to their leg, and they lost part of their their artery. The challenge with that is uh, the solutions that we have right now are all artificial, which is fantastic. They, they, they work, they can work fairly well, but the problem is that over time, over the, the lifespan of that wounded warrior who may have 60 or 70 years to live after his injury, um, that artificial vascular graft will break down. It's not meant to live, it's not meant to integrate that long. And so there are problems with clotting and um, infection. And if we were if we were able to recreate his or her native tissue, so to put something, some conduit in, that instead of staying as it was when it was put in, it eventually turned into their own native vessel. We would we would largely eliminate those problems with clotting, infection. Um, or other breakdown. So that would be one example. The other example is a burn patient. And what we do now is we kind of rob Peter to pay Paul, where someone, if someone comes in with a large burn, we take a skin graft from another part of their body that hasn't been injured, creating effectively another wound in order to treat the large burn. If we could regenerate skin, then we wouldn't have to create a new wound to heal the to heal the other one, um, and patients would heal with less scarring, less infection. We would be able to get them into rehabilitation quicker, um, and get them out of the hospital back to their lives more quickly. You mentioned there um, uh, vasculature and skin as a as a type of target for regenerative medicine. Are there any other body parts or organs we can already successfully regenerate as of today? So the closest we are today is to the, is with those two tissues, really. Um, we there are a lot of hurdles yet to to get over with regenerative medicine. Um, it is a new field. Every day we learn more, but there is there's still the more we learn, the more we know we don't know, and so. We are looking at other tissues, including cartilage, bone, muscle, nerve. You know, the simpler tissues are going to be the easier ones to regenerate soonest. So skin is a relatively simple organ. It, it is layered, a very a relatively thin layer can accomplish what we need it to accomplish, which is to cover uh, a wound. Um, 
and <clears throat> excuse me, a blood vessel is is just a simple tube. So it's the next step up from a flat surface like skin. When you get into muscle and bone and nerve, they, they become very complex 3D structures that are harder to regenerate. People are working on, on kidneys and livers um, and all kinds of tissues, but we're, we're not quite ready to say that they're ready for even clinical testing. As we've got a, a military focus, trauma care advances in, for instance, the Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts um, have meant that people have survived more severe patterns of injury than ever before. Has this been a major demand signal that has invigorated the demand for regenerative medicine? That was absolutely the focus of, of the, the research funding that I was part of at, in the Department of Defense and in the Army we were looking at the Armed Forces Institute of Regenerative Medicine, and the 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 goal of the Affirm was to bring bring the products in regenerative medicine more quickly to market, because there was such a demand for solving these solving these problems that we'd never seen before, because nobody had survived with them. So, how how could we regenerate? Uh, for example, uh, craniofacial tissues that are very difficult to replace with, with other tissues. Was there a way that we could do that so that form and function would be better preserved? Moving on from that, can you describe perhaps one or two key technological developments that have enabled the field of regenerative medicine to advance? Uh, there are so many. There are so many advances that have been um, important in this field. One of them is is understanding uh, how to sort cells, how to identify what they are, how to um, try to get them to evolve in the direction that we want them to evolve. But I think the the bigger challenges are uh, what 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 the field is still facing are the challenges of a, having a deeper understanding of of how cell regeneration works, and then understanding how how to regulate the space, not, not as a way to control it necessarily, but as a way to understand what is it that you've got in your hands. So how do I, how do I identify this batch of cells and know that they're gonna become bone, that they're gonna consistently become bone? What is the process that I can that I can enter into that I know at the end of it, I will have bone or cartilage or skin consistently. And I, th I think once we, once we get to that point, that's when regenerative medicine is really gonna open up, but we're not quite there yet. And presumably these advances and developments uh, are exceedingly expensive to develop. Can you kind of give us a sense of that kind of scale for our listeners? Well, in the pharmaceutical industry, it takes about $2 billion to develop a single drug from start to finish. And, and that encompasses a lot of things, including all of the false starts that, that are, you have to fund along the way. I think regenerative medicine will find is not dissimilar in cost. There are, very, there are very few products that have gotten all the way through that we can do a cost analysis on, but um, it, it, I, 
it wouldn't surprise me if it were pretty close to that figure. And it sounds from what you're saying that government kind of agencies are having to incentivize industry to invest in these programs. Is that correct? Government has recognized that this is a very promising area of research that a lot of people would benefit from. And so they've been willing to invest in partnership with industry and academia to try to get them across the finish line because we think that that's the most efficient way to go. So is there any particular ways you could see we could be speeding up these technologies to get them really to the people who need them? I think going back to the understanding of, of what we have, so knowing how to do non-destructive testing, understanding how to have uh, you know, the appropriate controls, um, and standards for the industry. What, what is, how do you define a certain type of cell? And how do you, how do you consistently drive it to the co- type of tissue that you want it to be? Once we get there, that, that will really, I think that will speed the, the um, development because then there will be a consistent process by which to get through the regulatory challenges. So kind of following on from that, do you think there is one particular holy grail kind of advancement as such that we're looking for that will unlock potentially limitless opportunity? You know, I I think um, this cathedral of regenerative medicine is built with a lot of, it's going to be built with a lot of stones and each one is going to be critical. I don't think that there's there's just one that we can point to. And we touched on regulation of the field, and I want to try and imagine a time, perhaps 20 more years in the future, where this field is really developing and we really are starting to see regenerative medicine coming into mainstream medicine and um, regenerating these organs. Do you have any ideas or any particular ethical concerns about what's potentially going to be a very rapidly advancing field? The good news is that I, I think folks are well aware of some of the ethical challenges. There are a lot of bioethicists who are already paying very close attention and are doing a good job of guiding the field without stifling it. I think there will always be questions about um, whose who cells, how, how do we obtain the material for the regenerative processes because in in order to make these work and be affordable there will have to be um, banked banked products which will come from um, a a line of cells well who volunteers those cells and and how do they how are they engaged in that in consenting to that um, voluntary act um, how do we identify those people how do we you know or, or do and and I, I don't mean how do we identify them in the public I just mean how do we how do we identify who would be a good candidate for that and then treat that process very carefully I'm just thinking about looking further into the future what is this going to mean for our soldiers sailors and airmen of say 20 30 years time what I hope is that it allows them to go into harm's way knowing that we can make them whole no matter what happens. That we can restore form, function, and appearance to nearly 
to nearly their, their pre-morbid self, meaning before they were injured. We owe them at least that. I just want to expand on one of the questions we touched with in the Quickfire 5, which was, again, about regulation and uh, perhaps the differences between what we perceive as our regulation and different countries, which may have less stringent regulation. Is that going to have much of an impact at all on the development of this field? You know, one of my mentors once said, we all need negative role models. And I think that that's... That's one of the ways that those countries can, and, and their um, lack of regulation, they can provide a negative role model for us so that we, we can look at it and say, all right, we understand what the consequences are of behaving in this way or treating the technology in this way. And perhaps we really, we thought that we didn't want to go there and now we absolutely know that we don't want to go there. And I suppose the impossible question uh, which I'll just be keen to know when is this going to happen? When beyond the vasculature and the skin uh, graphs are we really going to see this impacting people's lives? I, I hope within a couple of decades, but there are, there are a, couple of, um, a couple of big questions that we need to answer, like how do you get things to grow in 3D? How do you vascularize it? and how do you maintain the structure once we have those once we have those figured out um, it it will probably open up a new realm but that might not be for another 10 or 20 years so it sounds like i'll watch this space but very exciting space to watch exactly and and watch the space for the incremental improvements what and you know in, incremental if if we have if we have skin that we can pull off the shelf to use for a burn victim instead of using their own, that that changes the field of, of burn care. So alternatively, do you have any concerns about the future of regenerative medicine? So my one primary concern is that although regenerative medicine has a huge amount of potential, it also has the risk of looking like it will fix everything and like it will be a magic solution to all of our problems overnight. And I, I just want people to um, have, have, have a, a sense of caution about listening to some of the stories of the promise of regenerative medicine. It is a, it is a very, it's a fascinating field that I think will take us a long way, but it's gonna, it's gonna be a long road and it may not have the, it may not be a panacea for everything. Thank you very much, Dr. Dean. To our listeners, please do let us know what you thought through our Twitter at Milmed Podcast and do follow HJF too. They're at HJF Milmed. Don't forget to log the podcast for your CPD. Until next time. <laughs>